Hello, and welcome to Nevermind the Pain Points, a podcast dedicated to helping you unlock your business challenges. Pulling on our network of clients, partners, experienced employees, and industry experts, we wanted to share with you our views and opinions on common business challenges. As a consulting firm that deals with these pain points on a daily basis, we thought we were well-placed to give insights on addressing these challenges. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of Nevermind the Pain Points. This is the second episode actually in a two-part series where we're talking about the online customer experience. Um, I'm joined today again by Bisha and Ed who are from our retail team here at Clarisys. Um, Hi Bisha, hi Ed. Hi Sophie. Hi Sophie. So last time we talked a bit about the nuts and bolts of the online shopping experience and kind of focused in on the website and and app user experience. Um, But today we want to broaden out a little bit and and talk a little bit more about the online shopping experience as part of the broader customer journey. So there are two points that we want to cover off. The first being the, the conversion funnel and how do you convert browsers to customers how do you understand where customers are in that journey in order to, to optimize that conversion? And then secondly, we're going to talk a little bit about recognizing that the online experience is just sort of one part of the customer journey that needs to be optimized. So how do you make use of all of the channels you have uh, to deliver that optimized customer experience? Sounds great. Let's get cracking. To start off with then, on the converting uh, browsers to customers, when you think about the, um, the customer journey and, and the point at which a customer is in that journey when they're visiting your website, why do you think it's important for retailers to understand where their customer is? I think there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things here. Kind of a recent example for me is um, I'm smugly off on holiday pretty soon and I'm looking to, I was trying to get a pair of sunglasses. So I was looking at a few different sites and then I was just bombarded like through Instagram with loads and loads of sunglass adverts and I couldn't get away from it. It was everywhere on all my social media. And I think you can definitely see that, that kind of like the power of data and understanding where your customer is on that journey can power those adverts and make you much more likely to buy at a time where you are kind of more prepared to. And I think that's, that's an absolute fair point. From my experience as well, I like to put lots of things in baskets, but not necessarily purchase it then and there. So I think a lot of sites do it quite well, where they will remind you that things are either in your favorites or in your checkouts, where you've saved them, where you put them on wish lists. And just to uh, give you that nudge to be able to help guide you to be able to actually convert. So they can see and they can track where you are in that process, that what you've liked, what you haven't liked, what your preferences are as well. And they can collect that data, but also help you convert it right at the end as well. I think H&M does that quite well from a retailer's perspective. Um, ASOS does it as well. And also eBay is really, really good too. And what are your thoughts on if retailers get it wrong? Uh, have you had any experiences of where it, it's gone wrong and, and what impact has that had on the customer experience or your experience? I think there's, you know, there's the obvious one, if they, if they get it wrong, um, you know, you're not likely to, to buy the, the, kind of the product. But I think there's a, there's a longer term implication of if you have a, Kind of a bad buying experience either if they're trying to force you to buy something you don't necessarily want to buy or aren't ready for are you likely to go back to that retailer again and try and make that purchase so i think there's a there's kind of like a two-parter there's the immediate piece of there could be some issues with you you know wanting to buy something but then there's a longer term reputational piece about how they kind of treat you during that buying journey 
And I tend to agree with Ed, but what I was going to add to that point is what is the definition of actually it going wrong? Because if you don't have any way of tracking where your customers are on your website, at what point they are dropping off or what point they are logging into your site, you may not have any awareness in what works for your website, what doesn't work, what attracts, what to improve and enhance in that sense. Yeah, such a good point, Bisha. Um, I guess to that point then, how do you think that retailers can better understand um, the journey online that their customers are, are going on and the stage they are in um, at that particular interaction? Maybe if I, if I can, can uh, kick us off here, I think the, the first one is probably just about trying to build out your customer journey through different personas. It's something that we're seeing a lot more of in the industry, and I think retailers have been doing it for a while, but it's it's kind of becoming much more kind of a standard kind of piece of work that, that will be done. And it's mapping out those different personas, so the different behaviors and actions that a group of kind of customers would, would be, and then working through that journey on that um, from a buying perspective to see what the various touch points are along that route and where you're most likely to try and catch that particular audience. I think Ed's pretty much summed it up um, in that point because customer journeys is so crucial and I think this is the point that all retailers need to be constantly looking at and constantly updating but also having the right information and knowing your customers and what their aspirations are what their goals are and if they are dropping off your website at certain points of time actually then exploring using those scenarios why are they doing this what information is there what's not there and helping to provide that so that they can have that conversion right at the end and not only just add it to the basket, but actually proceed through to checkout. And if you were to think about the, I guess, simplistic view of three stages in the, the conversion journey, one being awareness, the evaluation and through to the purchase, what sort of things do you think that retailers should be thinking about at, at each of these different stages to ensure that it's optimised? If we take awareness first, I think there's certainly the area of kind of like personalization. So I guess now this is kind of mass personalization. So you can be very targeted in, in kind of the content that you send to a particular customer base. I, I would say maybe from a, from a personal perspective, I'm much, I'm much more likely to, to look at a product if it's been tailored to me. I, I kind of get quite frustrated when I get spammed with just lots of products and have, I have absolutely no interest in, in looking at I guess just to build on that point as well, I think often you're arriving at a website not necessarily from having engaged with it before. I know that recently I've started visiting a lot more retailers having found them through like Instagram feed and things like that. And so just making sure that that initial view you get of that brand is, is really clear and you know you, you portray what your products are and give an idea of the, the sort of price banding and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think you know, trying to to look at how your uh, your customers arrive at the website, so keyword search, anything through social media. I, I think probably that the, the route that they take in to to kind of get to your website will very much tell you a little bit about the customer initially, because if they come through um, a particular social media social media channel, then they're more likely to fall into a particular tribe, which is something that we talked about last week around the different kind of tribes that you might be in as, as a customer. And that adds to the point that um, actually if you are targeting new customers well, that awareness piece is actually quite crucial at that point in time. So the click that you have um, sort of navigated through, um, as Ed, you just mentioned, uh, whichever channel that's through, um, whatever page that opens you up to, 
be it the homepage or a specific product page, etc., that should be able to provide you enough awareness and information to be able to allow the customer to want to carry on uh, through that journey that we've just mentioned, the customer journey. So that's also quite crucial to actually bear in mind that actually these clicks that we're expecting the retailers to do, they have to navigate and also accommodate all the awareness that, uh, that the customers, especially new ones, will need. So then at the, I guess, evaluation stage, what sort of things do you think retailers need to be thinking about, Bisha, to ensure that that's optimised? Well, I think it's one of those points where actually what is making, once the customer has clicked through, what is making the customer actually follow through in that journey? So are they carrying on browsing on products or have they actually seen the specific product? Take, for example, Ed Sunglasses example. He's seen a product, he likes it, he's clicked on it, he's got through to it. Does he just actually um, process through to that transaction and, and complete it? Or does he start browsing different sunglasses once he's on that website just to make a price comparison or actually see different styles and different um, types of products and brands that, that are out there? So actually understanding what the customer does in that navigation is actually quite, quite crucial um, and understanding what their journey is actually going through at that point in time. And that information is actually really, really important for, for retailers to actually be able to understand their customers, know the journey that they take, but also to be able to provide the layout and the information and help them complete that transaction. What would you both say makes a, a good checkout experience? What sort of things do you want to make sure you incorporate or, or avoid as part of it? Well, I have quite an interesting example that I actually experienced just even yesterday. And I was on a, a grocer that I was doing a bit of a big shop on because I wanted to just stock up on store products and sort of cupboard uh, elements and etc. And actually only once I'd added everything into my basket and I went out into the checkout, then only did they tell me that there was a limit on the number of items. So they didn't tell me at the beginning that there was a limit. Uh, so I could have managed my expectations and put whatever I wanted with knowing the limit um, in mind. So actually things like that was actually quite frustrating and I can imagine that if, if there's things like that, that because of COVID or any other reasons that we need to actually be mindful of, provide that information to the customer right at the beginning um, and allow them to actually understand that. So while they're going through that journey, if there's a limit on number of items or the amount of spend or the frequency of uh, bookings that you can do for say groceries, etc., provide that all to the customer right at the beginning because I spent quite a lot of time starting to delete items. From my basket which is again a bit of a waste of my own time yeah for me i feel it's it's probably the the ease of purchase um you know if, if i've got that far like scanning all the different products out there and i've narrowed it down to the thing that i want i just want to just jump straight into buyer's remorse so for me it's sort of just can i like just make the purchase quick and easy um you know it, like using like stored card data if i have it on my device that i'm using and you know i shouldn't have to enter tons and tons of information it should be pretty like straightforward and simple i think you bring up a few few really good points there as well around the type of devices so making it easy to be able to use it and i think we brought this up in our previous podcast around having the ease of using it on say tablets and mobiles as well as laptops because in this day and age people are purchasing lots of different types of products on different devices that's probably really really crucial one click as well lots of brands and retailers do that really really well and I think the last thing for me is actually if you are a new customer to our website one of the points that Ed you've mentioned is actually not having to fill in too much detail like if you want to have a guest account versus actually creating an online account provide that choice 
empower the customer to be able to have whatever way that they want to be able to purchase those products and complete that customer journey. So talking about the checkout experience, I think one of the the big challenges that retailers have is um, the abandonment of of carts during the process. So you know, there's statistics that say between sort of around 65 and up to 96% of baskets get um, abandoned. Obviously, that depends on industry heavily and and country. What would you say some of the typical reasons are for people abandoning uh, their basket? Maybe if I, I start and I'll kind of fire off a couple. Um, I'd say for me, probably the unexpected shipping costs. I mean, even like yesterday, I was ordering uh, delivery and like the additional fees on top, there was like a small purchase fee and then there was a delivery fee and then there was a service charge and it actually doubled the cost of what I was trying to buy. And I thought, well, I'm not going to spend tw- like 20 pounds on a meal when I don't need to. Well, we talked about kind of creating an account earlier and whether you have to create an account or having like a guest account. And if, again, if it takes too long for me, like I'm kind of, I lose interest quite quickly and I think, oh, I can get this easier somewhere else so I'll, I'll kind of move on. I think for a customer that is trying to, uh, is attracted to a new retailer, be it a clothing or any other, any other type of product, security and credibility is probably quite important to be able to make sure. So if I am attracted to a new uh, clothing company, um, which I've seen lots of adverts for, and I've actually tried to click through to be able to see things, the first thing I will think about is actually, how can I purchase this? Can I use uh, my credit card or is there PayPal or is there 3D secure, et cetera, on that side of things. But also things like, um, is there ratings and reviews on, on that uh, particular, particular piece as well? So I think that's really, really important. I think things like sites crashing um, and not working, I think those were probably quite common problems maybe a couple of years ago. And I think I've seen less of that um, in the recent years. Um, But also things that we have to also take into account um, such as you purchase the product um, you click through, you actually go through to checkout and then you get emailed afterwards, actually that's out of stock. Um, that itself could be quite frustrating for customers. Um, so if there is a potential for retailers to be able to showcase product availability before they actually convert, um, I think that will help boost the awareness and brand as well in the customer's eyes. Yeah, I would say as well as a fairly funny slash awkward one for me. Uh, when I, uh, I think sometimes that they can make the kind of the checkout experience kind of maybe too slick. And when they first introduced uh, Amazon OneClick, I had no idea what it was. And I just um, moved into a new flat and I was trying to buy uh, a TV and a TV stand. And I was adding, like you will do, like a bunch of products to the basket and then you can then like assess which one you should you should go for. So I added in, like, I, well, I thought I was adding in the, the TV and the, and the stand. And it turns out that I just did Amazon OneClick and I just bought them. Um, so luckily, uh, the products were good come the end, but I, yeah, I didn't really intend to buy anything that I purchased, uh, that day, but, um, yeah, I think there's sometimes there's a, there's a risk that they can make it too easy to buy and, um, people like me <laughs> just stumble into them. Um, but yeah, that was a, an expensive lesson learned, but at least I did learn it in the end. So just in summary, we've talked a little bit about um, the the conversion of browsers to customers, um, how you need to consider what part of the journey they're in when they're visiting your website or app um, and uh, how you can improve the checkout experience uh, to drive that forward. What key bits of advice would both of you give any retailers listening on how they can uh, improve the conversion? 
So I think we've talked about this quite a bit through through the conversation today, but actually uh, knowing your customer and actually collecting the data that you're getting from the customer is probably really, really crucial. So when is the customer coming onto your website? How far along do they go through the steps of your website in that customer journey? When do they drop off? And actually understanding all of those aspects, collecting that data and analyzing it is really crucial because then you can know where you're say going wrong or where you can make improvements as such. It makes the process smoother and slicker for the customer if those enhancements are made. Yeah, I'd say one key bit of advice from, from me is to kind of make sure that you're continually testing kind of different hypotheses around the conversion journey. So uh, setting up maybe two or three different customer journeys and testing out which one works best, collecting that data, analyzing it, and then adjusting your journey. So the second point uh, that we want to talk about today is around the multi-channel experience and how retailers can optimize across all channels to, to really drive the entire customer experience. Bisha and Ed, what are your thoughts on the most important things in terms of delivery for customers? If I kick us off here, I, I think for me, we've talked about some of these kind of key things before and, it, and it's interesting how they kind of are across the retail um, kind of end-to-end -end customer journey, but it's around kind of flexibility and speed from a delivery perspective. So, you know, once you've made your kind of product selection, you've you kind of made your choice and from there on in, it's just uh, getting it as quickly as possible is always going to improve your um, the customer experience. And then the flexibility part as well, that you can have different time slots they can collect, you can have it left in a safe place. But I think it's just showing that those like kind of the flexibility part is a is a real kind of key win from a delivery perspective. I tend to agree totally with Ed as well. And, and not only are those two points really, really valuable, but actually fulfilling it is also really, really important as well. And it's not just about the quality of the product, but actually making sure that the product gets to you. It's in the right state. It's broken or it's not damaged. And the other point I was just going to actually mention is probably touching Ed on your flexibility point. There's lots of things that are actually quite advanced in this sector and it's actually evolved so much over the last couple of years. I think Argos is one of the ones that actually really, really, really championed um, that flexibility point and actually it had uh, multiple places where you could collect different products from. Amazon, obviously, no doubt, um, is a leader in, in the marketplace for this. But even in America, um, just to give an example, like grocers allow you to even do an additional type of channel, which is like curbside pickup. Given we are all now social distancing, that's actually quite a, an interesting aspect. Bisha, you talked a little bit there about uh, fulfillment and, and Argos as your example of um, using both delivery and, and stores to uh, fulfill some orders. Um, and I'm interested to explore that a little bit more. How would you say um, the use of stores in combination with online can help retailers uh, achieve the, the flexibility uh, and speed point? It's an interesting one you mentioned. So like obviously now Argos is combined with Sainsbury's as well. So they've actually expanded that opportunity of multi-channel that they actually have. So they are able to click and collect not only at Argos actual stores physically, but also you can do it in your local Sainsbury supermarket, you can do it in your bigger Sainsbury supermarket. So the opportunities that they have managed to reach out to for customers has, has grown quite a bit. Um, and it gives you that choice uh, to be able to 
understand where where it's it is most convenient and i personally experienced this because i needed a few things to be picked up from an argos and actually the stores were closed during um uh, lockdown here in in london and uk so i was able to actually pop in and have a variety of different sensory stores where i was able to pick up my items from and that convenience is was still there and it was seamless for the customer even though we had to all go through lockdown so Obviously, delivery is um, a really crucial way of kind of combining the, the multi-channel experience, but it's also really important to understand what specific role um, your, your website, your app, uh, various social me media channels play um, alongside your stores. Uh, Bishonet, do you have any thoughts on you know, why in particular this is important uh, now? I think, you know, from, from my perspective, you're dealing with a customer base that is, particularly if you're like a big kind of online grocery store or anything like that, so like Sainsbury's, Tesco's, etc. You're dealing with a massive customer base who has like a, 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 like a so many different ways that they want to purchase, and everyone has different preferences. And so, you know, you might have, you know, like the sort of working parent who's on the go all the time and they're trying to order from their mobile phone. You've maybe got someone who prefers to order through a tablet and that has to kind of work seamlessly or someone likes to have a big monitor and then they go onto their kind of laptop or the monitor and they have a look through it that way. So, yeah, I think you have to kind of cater to quite a wide spectrum of, of different customer groups based on their preferences. And often as well, people might jump between the two. And so it's really important that you get the same experience as you go from one kind of device to another. Uh, I think Ed's made really, really valid points there from uh, focusing on the customer journey side of things. Um, the two points I was going to add to that is actually um, capitalizing and using the data. And the second point I was going to mention is a little bit around actually the branding and marketing of, the, of, of your organization. So make sure that whichever touch point or area that your customer is um, interacting with you or someone else, um, even if it's like a local um, supermarket or if it's a convenience store where you're collecting a product from, ensure that they are able to reflect on that brand so that it is being, the interaction is there. So that's the main point um, on that one. So your brand value, it doesn't diminish and there is some consistency in that and you, you are getting the experience that you want from that brand and the customer feels it. It's interesting, BC, when you talked about like, the data side there, and it might be kind of good to pause on that briefly. I was thinking, because you know, we know retailers collect so much data, and, and they've had various kind of reward schemes for so long. Um, you know, if you look at uh, like Nectar or Club Card, et cetera, and they've got so much data. And I think for some retailers, they're very, they've, they've had a long time to be able to understand it, use it, and kind of get what they need from it. I think with some that are kind of moving into that space now and understanding the value of having it, they can, they probably have just collected so much and they don't kind of really understand what to do with it. And I would say for, the, for those people in, in that position, it's probably just to focus on a couple of your key journeys, pick on the key data that is, that, you know, is you can easily understand and you can act upon. And then as you build your customer journey, I think, you would then use data to finesse it as you go through. Um, I wouldn't recommend that you kind of do this huge analysis of all the different bits of data and then try and come up with something that's probably going to be too complex, particularly if it's one of your first kind of projects to improve your customer journey. So focus on a few key journeys, use the data that is kind of gives you the most obvious insight and then use the rest of it to kind of finesse as you go through. Totally concurred. Uh, I was going to add to that 
picking maybe some of the pain points as well. So mm. understanding where the pain points are for the customers and those are the areas you just focus on and obviously you can iterate on it as well, right? That's the beauty of trying to do um, slice a customer journey. Um, you can pick up a persona and you can only just pick on the areas that are frustrating for customers um, and enhance them. Yeah, 100% agree. It, you don't have to do this kind of big bang initiative to improve things. You can kind of, as I said, pick on a, like a few key pain points that you uncover through your customer journeys, work through the data, and you can build and iterate. You don't have to do this big bang thing anymore. That really is a concept, doesn't need to exist. Um, and it means that, you know, you can make small investments and get, and get kind of incremental improvements, you know, within a couple of weeks. And, and just to also conclude on that point that you just mentioned is sometimes having too many channels may not be the right answer, right? Like those customer journeys and having done that high level analysis may conclude to you as a retailer that actually having one or two is probably the right thing for you um, because actually you are devaluing or diluting the actual customer journey and the experience and the brand that uh, they are experiencing. There's some great points there from, from you both. I think one of the other things that um, I just want to add is we talk about seamless experience across channels and making sure that you know, there's a flow on the customer journey and things like that. Um, but one of, one of the other important things to recognize is that your customer groups may use your channels differently. And so although you might want to deliver a seamless experience across channels, you also, to your point, Ed, need to recognize how people are shopping um, and ensure that the, the touch points are, I guess, personalized to those specific groupings. So, uh, you know, omni-channel was a word that was uh, thrown a lot around a lot in, in the past, but um, I, I'm not sure that it really fits the bill anymore um, because it suggests that you should be doing exactly the same thing across all channels. Whereas I'd argue that based on your customer groups, um, you need to be personalizing that experience in those channels accordingly. You're completely right. And I, I think there's, you know, as I said, there was this omni-channel, this multi-channel, I'm sure there's, there's many more terms. As you said, it, it needs to be kind of bespoke, targeted, customized, whatever you want to call it, to that particular customer segment. So pulling that all together, what uh, tips would both of you give to any retailers listening on how they can improve that end-to-end -end customer experience across channels? So I think one of the things that we brought up um, is to be able to actually understand uh, the customer journey. So we've said that quite a bit. Um, and I think both Ed and I um, talked a little bit at length in how you can look at the customer journey and not be overwhelmed by it. I think that's really, really important in making sure that you have different personas, you know who your personas are, know who your customers are, and understand what their touch points are. Um, it's easier said than done. Uh, many retailers may not know the length um, and the detail of how many touch points there are. Um, and then I think we talked about also discussing and um, picking and prioritizing what the pain points are and looking at those in a little bit of detail. Um, that would probably be the first starting point uh, that we would probably advise doing and then you can iterate on it as we said beforehand. Yeah, and, and that iteration kind of feeds quite nicely into my next point around just Kind of the complexities. I think if you're if you're new to trying to understand your customer experience, or, or and even prefer if you've been doing it for a while, I think start kind of like start small. Um, avoid trying to build like large numbers of like touch points and different channels, uh, and, and and create a very complex customer journey. I think you know start with a single slice of a your most common customer journey, 
uh, and, and then build upon that and, and iterate through it. Uh, and I think that way you're not going to overface yourself and your, and your team in trying to create something that is, you know, probably could be you know, one, two, three years down the line. Brilliant. Thank you both so much for that. Um, there's some, some really great points that you've discussed um, in both the first part of converting user, uh, visitors to customers uh, and then latterly around the, the end-to-end customer journey. I guess to, to draw everything together, this is the second part um, of, of a two-part podcast series where we've been talking about online customer experience, first the nuts and bolts of it, how do you improve the user experience um, through to the, the whole end-to-end customer journey. Um, so to conclude for, for both parts um, of this series, I think you know, e-commerce presents numerous opportunities for retailers um, across the board from, from loyalty uh, to delivering operating efficiencies and harnessing those opportunities is really important. Bisha and Ed, do you, do you have any reflections on, on that point? I think it's one of those things where we've just touched on it, where um, given the climate where we're in at the moment, most of us are working from home, um, we're unable to go very many places the e-commerce element is fundamental um, not only for retailers but also many other industries but for retailers clothing groceries have all had massive changes that they've had to make over the last couple of months and quite drastically as well so actually how can that be sustained what does this new world look like when we um, come out of covid yeah i completely agree i mean i, I think covid will cause it's probably going to accelerate the e-commerce kind of business by maybe 10, 10 years. Um, I, I think we're, we'll see a, a permanent move to that as a primary channel for a lot of people. And I actually think as well that a lot of people have learned maybe the, the value of, of e-commerce for just from a, a life perspective. You know, you're not having to, to, to drive to the, the high street or to, um, you know, like a, a big retail park. You can you know, do it from the comfort of your home. Um, you can kind of pause and reflect on what you want to buy and, and make more considered decisions. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it, it might just become, um, I hate the phrase, but the new norm uh, in, in retail that e-commerce is your primary kind of point of call. And it's certainly been clear throughout last few months that many retailers' operations have been pushed to, to the limit. I'd say that in general, customer tolerance has been pretty high. People have been relatively flexible in allowing for this period of transition. But, you know, as Ed says, we've got about 10 years worth of change, probably condensing now into six months for many retailers to get up to speed before that customer experience is so negatively impacted that it might then uh, impact loyalty and therefore it's it's so crucial to think about your online customer experience and and how you can improve this alongside increasing your your operating capacity as a starting point as we've said all along it's fundamentally important to understand your customers their needs their purchasing habits and behaviors and then really focus in as Ed was talking about earlier on on the data and making sure you're collecting the right data and using it to your advantage. Bisha and Ed, have you got uh, any additional reflections that you want to add in there? The one only other point that I would uh, probably mention and I've been reflecting on through the two discussions we've had is actually empowering the customer and I think that that phrase is something that's going to support the advancement that we're seeing in e-commerce and and is almost the retailers are needing to do in in e-commerce as such. Customers have become more savvy over the last couple of years. They do price comparisons. We all do that. 
we all go and do ratings and reviews. We look at recommendations and we trust and want to uh, trust um, brands and their loyalty schemes as well. But actually empowering the customers, giving them choices, making things smooth for them. Um, I feel like that's another new area of growth um, and opportunity, especially if we're going to be so heavily reliant on e-commerce going forward. I think from my, my side, my kind of final reflection would be probably more kind of geared towards those who are, um, you know, working within retailers at the moment, um, you know, perhaps trying to look at your, your customer experience and, and where to start and look at your data, speak to your customers, gain some insights, pick a... Um, a relatively simple customer journey that you, you know, believe could be improved uh, and then the iterate through, make those improvements, use kind of supporting data to, um, to kind of tweak that journey. And then I think, you know, if, if you're struggling to, I guess, uh, showcase the value of, of improving customer experience to, you know, maybe your, your wider um, kind of management team or leadership, I think use that as a case study about you know what value you can get from making some smaller changes, and then um, you know bring that up to your kind of leadership team and say that this is what we've done with you know a small amount of time using a, a few bits of data at key interactions, and here's what we've done. Imagine what we can do if we you know do an end-to-end -end review of our customer experience, and I think that end-to-end -end review is you know could be enormous and it, and, it, and it can take quite a long time, but we would always recommend, you know, break it down slice by slice. You can get value early by delivering things, you know, um, within like maybe four, four to six weeks. Um, and it's, it's not this big overhaul, you know, do um, a bunch of work, wait two years and deliver it. You can iterate on this, deliver kind of in an agile format. Um, and then by that, then your customers can just get a great experience from, you know, from an early kind of stage in the project. So this might all seem like it's quite a lot to take on, but actually you can, if you chunk it up and deliver it that way, it's actually not as challenging as it, as it first appears. Brilliant. Thank you so much, um, both of you, for your input in these conversations. There has been some really interesting points of discussion and uh, takeaways from, from both conversations. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Sophie. Thanks, Sophie.